everybody. Welcome to the No Pants Required podcast. I'm your host, Jen Mann, and today I am wearing sweatpants. Only my kids told me they're called joggers now, so I'm wearing pants you're supposed to jog in, but they never go jogging, so they're still sweatpants. My guest for this episode today is Jen Lancaster. Jen Lancaster is a New York Times bestselling author who has sold well over 1 million books. From The Bitter is the New Black to The Tao of Martha, Jen has made a career out of documenting her attempts to shape up, grow up, and have it all, sometimes with disastrous results. Her New York Times bestselling novel, Here I Go Again, received three starred reviews from Kirkus, Booklist, and Publishers Weekly. Her memoir, I Regret Nothing, was named an Amazon Best Book of the Year, and she's regularly a finalist in the Goodreads Choice Awards. She loves bad TV, terrible wine, and will die before she gives up her Oxford comma. Jen lives in the Chicago suburbs with her husband and her many ill-behaved dogs and cats. Hey, you guys. So today I have one of my, I think one of the funniest people I know. This is Jen Lancaster. She's like New York Times bestselling author. I'm reading here, it says you've sold well over a million books, which I mean, I can't even imagine that. So, but Jen is hilarious. And I'm just going to warn you up front. So Jen and I, neither one of us know much about technology. And so we just did our little sound check to seem like we kind of are official. And I could hear like a notification ding going on on her side. And she was like, yeah, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to fix that. (laughs) So there may be a little ding here and there. We don't even know what it is because she literally has no windows open. We have no idea. But she's here. She made it. That's all that's important. That's all we care about. I brought my ding. There we go. Thanks for coming, Jen. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for having me. I have like fangirled over you for years. And it's so cool now to be able to tell people like, oh, I just like work into conversation. I'm like, oh, my friend Jen Lancaster just was <laughs> telling me the other day. I was just, I was just, I was just emailing with Jen Lancaster. And she said, you know, I saw you here in Kansas City a few years ago. I got and- the rocks. Pardon? You gave me a bag full of rocks, motivational rocks. Yes, probably. Yeah, I was gonna say I know I gave you a gift of some kind just to so I could so I could be a member. I could you would remember me, and I kept stalking you on Twitter. And my my hashtag my or my name on Twitter is Throat Punch, which is kind of scary sounding. And so when someone's like, "I'm coming to see you, Jen. I can't wait to see you, Jen," and they're called <laughs> Throat Punch, you kind of remember. But Jen was just so amazing that night, and and she really entertain everybody. And then I wanted her to blurb my book and I threw my book at you. Do you remember that? Like that I threw my book. But here's the thing. I knew who you were and I had read your stuff. So it wasn't like you were some strange stalker. It's like, oh, somebody I liked likes me. That's neat. That's it's nice when it works out that way. You already knew who I was. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. (laughs) That's so amazing. No, I didn't. I figured you were just like, oh, who's this crazy lady throwing books at me? So yay. Oh, do you ever get my mail? Because I get your mail. Do you ever get my mail? No, but I recently got one for Jenny Lawson. So the same thing happened to me. Someone on Twitter sent me a picture of a horribly taxidermied cat. And they thought, okay, more, I know how to turn off this notification. <laughs> but they sent me a picture of this horribly taxidermied cat. And they're like, oh, I bet you'd love this. No, no, I'm not that one. No, this is going to haunt my dreams now. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Yeah, I get a lot of mail for Jenny Lawson too. Gosh, she's very popular, that girl. She just, if only people could find, but Jenny, you got to get an email address that they can find because they just find us. (laughs) They send us all your mail. Yeah, because I think I got one one time about talking to me about your husband and just (laughs) like, and I was like, yeah, the, my, my, my husband's a different curmudgeon. Like, that's not my husband. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Married to a different curmudgeonly guy. And now I have a dog at least because you were – I was always like, well, she's the one with the dogs. Like, I have kids. She has dogs. But now I got a dog. And, oh, man, I could use – I could. I and you have a just, red front door now. I do. I have I'm a red so, front door. I've always – so I've always had a red front door and I have nothing against red front doors. I think red front doors are very pretty. But this year I got in the head in my head that I'm trying to be like more fun and more more hopeful and grateful and all that bullshit. And so uh, it was time to paint our house. So I painted it black because that's hopeful and my favorite color. 
But I was like, to balance out the black, I will do like a really bright yellow. And it was gorgeous. And like everybody from the FedEx guy to like, you know, every neighbor but one, I'm guessing, really like loved it and commented on it. But then the HOA called me and told me they hated it. And Oof. and what was I going to do about it? And Not live really- somewhere with an HOA. That was one of the things when we were looking for houses. I'm like, uh-uh, I can't. Yeah. Well, so we negotiated because they wanted me to paint the whole house. They were like, we've never had a house this dark. And I was like, well, before my house was really dark gray. And I said, I was the first one who did dark gray too. And now like half the houses in here are dark gray. And I said, trust me, if you go around new construction, like there's a lot of black, like black is coming. And do you have like white window sills. I mean, do you have I do. Well, so that's it's like gorgeous. it's like black with white trim. And I have a lot of trim. Like my house has a lot of trim on it. So that's it's there's still a lot of white. And and then the yellow was just really popping. I love that yellow. It's very and contemporary. Yes. And so then they said, well, you have to at least paint the door. So I painted it red and and I gave them, well, they said, give us three choices to choose from. So I gave them another yellow. Here's your three choices. One, two, <laughs> and then three. Here's your three choices. Right? Which yeah. one did you like? Was it this one? Was it this one? Or was it this one? I can't remember. Because oh, I could do them both. It's up to you. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I gave him another yellow. I think I gave him a black. And then I gave him a red. So they were like, I guess we'll go with red. So, and I do love the red. Red's fine, but it does make me sad when I pull up every time down to my house. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where's my yellow door? It's good feng shui, apparently yeah. a red door. It is. It is. It's very lucky. And like, like my husband's Chinese. And so like red door is like a big deal. So we're very, yes, we love our red door, but the yellow just made me happy because now yeah. that I have a dog, I have to go walk outside all the time and I have to look at my house. And so I just like coming home to my yellow door. Are you going to be able to put in a dog run? No, well, like we have to put in a fence for him and it's quite expensive. I didn't realize that fences cost as much as like cars. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> fences run into the five figures. Yeah. I was like, and I have a teenager who needs a car. So I'm like, um, I guess we're going to get you a car and then, you know, Stan can be on a leash. So we got him a kind of a really long rope that he can be attached to. And he enjoys sitting out there and looking at the birds and the squirrels, but we mostly just walk him all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm fully fenced, but I have a pit bull that can, from a standing position, scale a six-foot fence. I mean, just literally just <laughs> right over it. So she's never outside without being on a 50-foot lead, even though we have okay. plenty of space. It's, and she doesn't want to go anywhere because she's obsessed with us, but I don't want my pit bull running loose in the neighborhood. I don't think anybody in the neighborhood wants that. No. Yeah. We're not – see, that's the thing we're not allowed to have. We can't have pit bulls here because when we went out looking to adopt – Right? Well, it's our whole city apparently. It's the city because we went out – like I'm in the Kansas City metro and we – and I'm in a suburb here, but we went into like Kansas City where the dog shelter was and they had us fill out all this information and then they were going to show us what dogs were available to adopt and the guy was like, oh, you just eliminated like 80% of our dogs. Because- you understand that softcore racism. Oh, right. Because you, know? you can't say, well, we don't want people of this color. So how about we just won't take your dogs? Well, they just wouldn't. And it was it, it, no pit bull mix, no nothing. And so he's like, we really, he wanted to show us a nice 12 year old dog that had, you know, dementia and, and bowel problems. And I was like, yeah. this is our first dog. Like, I don't think we're ready for that. No, so- no. I have a friend that adopts almost entirely senior dogs because she's a really great person, but I'm not that person. I, I, I will do everything I can for my senior dogs. When we were in the process of losing my, you know, my soulmate, my Maisie, I mean, we were giving her IVs twice a day. I mean, so we were, we were like hand feeding her. We were doing everything we needed to, but if that had been from the start, no, I, I need them to start off youngish. Well, it's like a, it's it, it's like a baby, you know. I I remember when I had my son, my oldest, my coworker. He was about fifteen years older than me, and he had teenagers at that point. And he was like, "Do you know?" And he was standing there holding my baby, and he's like, "Do you know why we get them as babies?" And I'm like, "No." He's like, "So we don't kill them when they're teenagers." <laughs> and you know, he's like, "So we love them now, and we remember that love." And now that I have two teenagers, I understand what he was saying. Like, I get no. it. Like, yeah, no, Stan, we got stands stands a puppy, and yeah, and we'll. Will he'll be with us now for a long time? But no, I maybe the fence. Maybe one day he'll get a fence. But right now, no fence for us. Well, I was just thinking about your kids, and there was I don't know maybe five or six months ago, 
you and I were emailing about something and you mentioned one of your kids' names. I'm like, I don't know who this is. I only know them by their pseudonyms. This is how good you have been about protecting their privacy. And I have to commend you for that because, I mean, you, you have the, you're the only person who started off as a blogger whose kids aren't going to sue them when they get to college. You're the only one. It's going to be a class action suit against like blog her. I'm oh no! You, it's well, you know, it's interesting because it is it is kind of interesting now that all of these kids are becoming teenagers and they're finding this content, or their friends are finding this content. My son, my son asked me to stop writing about him when he was about twelve, and I call him Gomer for anybody who doesn't know. My I call my kids Gomer and Adolfa is what I call them when I write about them because their real names are worse and they're embarrassed, but. But I started. I stopped writing about him when he was about twelve. He asked me to stop, and I mostly did. And then my daughter, she'd have a whole book if I, you know, if I'd let her. And she's just like, she's like, I'm a star. But, but now it's like it's not. You know, they're high school kids. Basically, since middle school, I probably stopped writing about her too. It just once you kind of hit those middle school years, they're funny to us, but they're not funny to them. And there's just, there's a lot of stuff I've written down and I've got it. And if we get to that point someday when they're 30 and they've been through therapy and they're ready, you know, (laughs) we can, we can explore that together. But, but yeah, I just, I, I try, unfortunately, I'm like you, Jen, I, I modeled my career after you. I, I read your book, The Bitter is the New Black. And I just thought, wait a minute. I can just tell stories about myself, like doing silly, silly, stupid things. I got that from Lauren Otero. Yeah, I remember it was not long after 9-11, I was reading The Idiot Girls, and there was a story about her eating a caramel apple that she just got stuck in her mouth in line at the bank. And I'm like, hold on a second. So you can have a career writing this? Right? I did not know that. And it's just, it's it's so neat to actually, like, become friends with people who I idolized. Yes. You know? And, and I just mean, find I- out they're just regular. Isn't that the truth? That you're like, oh, you are okay. You're normal, but no, I did not understand that. That that was even a genre. I didn't know that we could do that. And I was like, oh, well, I have tons of stories like that. Like yeah. I could do that. Like what? And not to not to minimize it and say that you know what we write is is fluff. But I just felt like I just didn't think anybody would in, be interested in my life. But here I'm like, I'm interested in Jen's life. So I mean, tell me, is that was that your first book, Bitter? Why do I think that's yes, your first that was book? My first it was one, right. That one came up. 2006. And oh, how I wish I could go back and re-edit it. I mean, really? because there are, there are things that were perfectly appropriate in 2006, like using the R word that are absolutely mm-hmm. not appropriate now. And I get, I get mean, unhappy mail about it all the time. Like I yeah. use the R word because there was a, it was a lot. I would just prefer to edit it now, especially now that, you know, I have friends who have special needs kids and I'm like, oh my God. But the rules were, the rules were very different even 15 years ago. The things that you could say that you couldn't say, I mean, we're from a generation that has completely had to re-edit our language. And you know what? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And it's good. Like we're learning, you know, and I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing I've seen for me at least is that like my kids will say something to be like, I'll say something. My kids will be like, mom. We don't, we don't say that anymore, you know, or mom, it's okay. Like, you know, that's, that's normal now or something. And, and I'm like, oh, well, thank you for telling me. I didn't really, you know, like, I think we're open to learning. We just didn't, Mm -hmm. no one ever taught us. And so. Well, it was entirely different. I mean, my dad used to go have drinks at lunch all the time when he was an executive. That's what you did. I mean, three martini lunch was just Tuesday. Now you get an HR file and you're probably going to have to go to rehab. Yes. Yes. Things are different, but I think they're so much better. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're so much better because they're more inclusive. They're more fair. I don't think that we're there yet, but I think we are definitely making strides. We're definitely making strides. I'm surprised. Would you think your publisher would let you go back and kind of update it or? I don't know. I don't work with them anymore. I may be for like a 20 year edition. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I did, I did 13 books with Penguin Random House and then I, I left them and they weren't happy that I left them. Oh. So, you know. Where are you now? Where did you go? I have been with Amazon Little A. Oh. And I really like them. I did a book with, I uh, did a young adult book with Harlequin Teen. And yeah, my last one was Amazon Little A. And I love their business model. I have been so happy with them. But I'm not, I'm not working on anything right now personally. I have written so many goddamn memoirs that you would think that I would have 
you know, pulled Chrysler out of bankruptcy, <laughs> that I landed a plane on the Hudson, that I did something other than get drunk in a pool. And the most amazing thing has happened since I stopped writing about myself. My last book, Welcome to the United States of Anxiety, was my opinions on some things, but it was really, it was very research-based and people are like, wow, I didn't want to learn, which, <sighs> you know, oh. sorry, but it was interesting to me. But since I've stopped writing about myself, since I stopped staring down at my navel, uh, the whole world seems different and interesting. And I have such intellectual curiosity now that I never had before. Like a, a week or two ago, I I didn't like seeing all the memes I was seeing about Afghanistan and I, because I didn't think that they were fair. So I just spent half a day doing a deep dive into everything every president has done since Bush to fuck things up. And there is a lot of fault to be laid at everyone's feet. And I have an entire understanding of it now and it can't be summed up in a meme. So no. I just feel so much happier not writing about myself because I'm much more interested and engaged in the world around me. Well, I'm I'm surprised because I liked the welcome to the United States of Anxiety. I mean, it was it was a little bit of a departure for you. I was there is a lot of research, but I kind of liked that. I liked because I think I for me that book it just kind of spoke to me. It was sort of exactly where I was at that point in my life. I love that book. I absolutely love that book because I had a really life changing experience. I mean, I I started taking classes at Second City. And Second City is where so many big comedians and actors and actresses and filmmakers have, have, have trained. So I did all this training at Second City and nobody gave a shit that I was a best-selling author. Nobody. All they thought was like, well, she's old and she's from the suburbs. So all of my friends were millennials and Generation Z and seeing the world through their eyes was it was an awakening because I live, I live in a wealthy suburb. I mean, things are very different here. I mean, things could be 1950 here, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. So seeing the world in an entirely different way, I mean, it challenged all of my preconceived notions. And the book is a lot about that. Like the things that I thought were right before, after I looked into it, I'm like, wow, I have changed my mind on this. And changing my mind wasn't hard at all. It's like, yeah. I am not married to any one specific dogma. I want to do what's right. And in researching and finding out what's right, I was like, wow, I was way off on that. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think that was the thing I liked about the book because you'd be like, oh, well, I was completely wrong and here's why. And you probably, yeah. and, and half the time I was like, oh, I guess, okay, I was a little wrong too then. Like I didn't know either. Or, or I'd be like, yeah, I knew that, but cool. I'm glad you figured that out or something. But I just, I think, cause I have noticed that the anxiety is definitely on the rise and oh there's God, just, how it not be? right. I was going to say with everything that's been going on in probably the last decade at this point now that we've been all living through, it's just kind of so many things have been going on. And I think more people are talking about that now. Like I felt mm -hmm. like before, even just probably even pre pandemic, I feel like in one, one, good thing, I guess, about the pandemic is people are talking about mental health. I mean, I went on a Zoom last night. It was supposed to be a women in business networking Zoom. And at the end, the lady in charge was like, mental health check-in. How is everybody doing? And I'm just like, nice. and I was like, oh, we're not going to, okay. Like, because normally it's like, you know, give us your leads, tell us who you want, you know? And she was just <laughs> like, mental health check-in. How is everybody? And we all went around and mental health checked in. And because and I think that's super important to kind of talk about that because yeah. nobody's nobody was really talking about that. And well, because I think we that, didn't talk about that in our generation. Yeah, if you went to no. therapy, you were from New York City. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't something people did. No, that has changed completely. Yes, yes. Do you think writing is a form of therapy for you? Oh, absolutely. That's that's that is how I process things. Like I yeah. I present best in writing. Right now I am, well, I've switched over to ghostwriting, which is the most fun I have ever had as a writer. And there were a couple of people that I really want to work with that I was up for. And I said to, I said to my Steve, I said to my agent, our agent, I said, can I write them a letter? You know, just because that's how I present best. And I, there were two very different people and there were two very different letters. He's like, we are always going to have you write letters from now on. <laughs> because I, that that that's 
that's how I process things because otherwise there's a lot of slurring and spitting. And this way I can remember not to swear in a business. Right. Or keep track of my thoughts. I mean, and I am someone who I'll either clam up or I talk too much or I'm like the angry crier. Like if I'm mad, like if my husband have Mm -hmm. a fight, like I have to write it all down in an email and tell him, you know, that I'm, I'm, this is why I'm mad, you know, kind of thing. And like, this is what you did and we need to talk about this. So I, I definitely have to process through writing. That's always been my thing. So I, when, when I'm really mad at my husband, I don't talk because I'm mean. Yeah. Like, I'm mean. I, I can't say the things that I'm thinking because in that moment I mean them, but then in real life I don't. So I am just very quiet. Oh. I'm not a yeller. Yeah. I'm a yeller. I'm a venter. That's just how I have to do it. But, and I, I yeah, I'm probably mean too. Sure. But I also, I have never once, I mean, I've complained about little stupid things to him like, oh, he's incapable of walking by an empty toilet paper roll and, and changing it. You know, that's just, he, he has toilet paper blindness, mm. like just, just blindness. But I mean, I've never ever complained about anything in our life, in our marriage to my friends, because I think once you, for me, once you let other people in on your problems, then they become a part of it, you know? Wow. So I've never, ever once spoken against him to wow. anybody. I take that to him. And I've had so many friends over the years that the minute they start complaining to me like about like the big problems in their life, I'm like, oh, you're not going to make it. And they don't. Hmm. You know, so I can I can predict from your conversation if you're going to be divorced six months from now. Wow. Not psychic. I was going to say, now I'm a little afraid to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) You were like, "Mm, Jen, we got problems. So I want to talk about the ghostwriting thing because – because at this point, like, okay, so Bitter was your first book. How many books mm-hmm. do you have now so far that you've written yourself that have your name on them? 16. 16. Mm-hmm. And several of them are are fiction too, right? You've got a couple, well, three. Like, what, five or, five or six of them are fiction? I don't know, five or five six. Five or six are fiction. Mm-hmm. So did you like nonfiction versus fiction? Do you care about that? Do you have I a preference? I love fiction. I love fiction. But we... We didn't do things right with my fiction because the my first my first novel was a huge mistake. And it wasn't that I didn't love it, that I didn't love the story. It was that I didn't get good advice. I'm like, what if we just fictionalize my life? And my publisher's like, that's incredible. And my fans were like, what the fuck is going on? Why did you guys change your names? We don't understand this. So I needed... We needed to, I, everyone, we needed to draw a a solid line between my fiction and nonfiction. And then I had so many people angry that I was writing fiction instead of just more stories about my husband and my dogs and my, et cetera, that it, I mean, it really, it it skewed my ratings. I mean, it skewed Hmm. my reviews. So if I could do things differently, I would probably do the the whole Sophie Kinsella, Madeline Wickham thing when she writes her two, I would have made them very different and distinct. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that I wish that I could do over again, but nobody, this isn't something people know. Right. Well, that's it. I think, cause I've been toying with fiction and, and everyone tells me that I need to have a pen name and then. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. And yeah, it can be, everyone can know that it's you, but just so you don't go and pick up a Jen Lancaster book and expect one thing and then end up with something very different. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then with the ghostwriting thing. It's so fun. It's okay, so why? fun. Tell me. Because I find that I think it would be so hard to write someone else's story. What are you doing? No, I mean, well, like like my first my first like official client, and it's 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 ghostwriting, so it's normally secret, but he put it all on his Instagram. So I have been working with Josh Flagg of Million Dollar Listing, and he's the most fun in the entire world. I love him so much. I've spent so much time with him and just our outtakes, the thing we couldn't put in this book are their own book. He's such a character. He's so fun. It's all real. It's all genuine. And it wasn't until, I mean, because we were doing, we did this all on zoom. I mean, for, we were like once a week on zoom for months uh-huh. And, I mean, and this is his story. This is his story, him telling it. It was just me putting all the pieces together. So instead of me coming up with everything, it was more me, okay, this is how we make a cohesive narrative. And that's the stuff that I love to do. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah, he came, he, he came to Chicago in April after we, everybody was all vaccinated back before Delta, when we were hopeful, like yeah. we're like, Oh, this is great. We can get back that, to life. Those two, those two weeks that we had. Yeah. Those were fun. Yeah. And, and, Oh my God, does he live large? He, he got a suite at the peninsula. It was the second best suite. So it was the $9,000 a night suite. Have you ever been in a $9,000 a night hotel room? I have not. Please tell me all about it. It's more of a hotel apartment. There's an office. There's two full baths. There's a living room. There's a dining room. There's a kitchen. It's just, it was amazing. And the whole time there was like, and it was just housekeeping, bringing us something else. Like, here, how about this? Here, how about that? And then the concierge came up and they're like, oh, do you want to see like the presidential suite? And we went up there and poor Josh was just like, Oh, I like this better. Like this was $9,000 a night. I feel like this is suitable for my needs. Cause I ended right? up staying there one night. I was so just going to say like, I mean, does he travel with an entourage? Does he need that kind of square no. footage? No, no, but he, he embodies luxury. He embodies his brand, which is luxury. And then I went out to, then I went out to LA in May again, before things went horribly awry with everyone. And I mean, he, he put me up at a suite at the Beverly Hills Four Seasons and we went to all these amazing places. And there was one day we were out with a real estate developer looking at $20 million properties to tear down. So oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. And I did not know I had a fear of heights until I saw these places. So the guy wanted to tear them down and then build $100 million properties. And these were all places that like a Bond villain would live in. So it was it was so fun being a part of his world and just seeing people react to him. Mm-hmm. And he's so much smarter than everyone gives him credit for. And the stuff he has done in real estate, like, oh, this is why you've sold almost $3 billion worth of property. I adore him. How did you, how did you find this gig? Like, how did you find this? The agents knew I wanted to, to ghostwrite. So they, they put me in front of people and, and I was having a, I was having a call with him and I, I got my, I I had my hair all done and I had my lashes on and I looked all nice and I found out it was a phone call and I was so disappointed because I don't know if you see this wallpaper behind me. I did not put it in, but it is Scalamandra and like the old lady that, that owned this house before me put it in and I could never I could never afford to put this in myself because it's $900 a roll. But I wanted Josh to see that I under I understood his world and that this wallpaper is what made him interested. He was like, okay, this is, I mean, because one of the big concepts in this book, like the way you sell to someone is you immediately establish that you are in the same tribe. Mm-hmm. You are in the same tribe. You can be trusted because you come from the same kind of place. I, I, the way I explained to him, I'm like, I'm business class. I can ride and coach if I have to, and I can behave in first class. I'm like, you're first class, so I can identify with you, but I can also identify with everyone in coach who is striving to be in business class. So right. it was so fun. I have a new gig starting. I can't say with who, but you would die, and I'm so excited. Who? Okay, so how many of these have you done? How many ghosts? This is, how many? This is my second official one, and this, I, the I did the secret um, one. The secret one is yeah. They're all they're they will all be secret. I mean, but then Josh, I'll be, Josh let everybody know. Josh that. was putting me on his Instagram. Okay. So like, okay, this, and I even said, I'm like, you know that I can't say this. He's like, but now I have, and I don't care. And oh. I think I might, I might be on million dollar listing. Of I might you are. Accidentally, because I didn't know I was going to get filmed because I, a few years ago when Luann on Real Housewives of New York was filming with her ghostwriter and her ghostwriter had frizzy hair and like a, a schlumpy outfit and no makeup on, but she put on a bright scarf. And I'm like, God damn it. You knew you were filming this scene and you didn't get a blowout. You didn't get <laughs> I was just, I was just, I was appalled as somebody who is vain. So then, then we show up at the studio and there was like this surprise that's going to happen. So they ended up filming me and I'm like, does anyone have a scarf? I, can put on? I mean, I, always, I, mean I, I, I looked fine, but it was like, if I had, if I had known I was going to be on TV, things would have been different. You would have been like rocking like three strands of pearls. Like you would have exactly. been, I mean, come on. Okay. So that's, that's the thing. So you just said it. Like, so I, we share this in common that we, we, I think you have to, to be a memoirist that we have a lot of vanity going on here. We're, mm-hmm. we're pretty vain people. I think that, how is it going to be when this book gets published and your name is not on the cover? 
you know what? I don't care. I, I have loved the experience, but now that it's done, like we're, we're just editing it. We just, we're waiting for our first, our first pass edits. Mm -hmm. Once the edits are done, I walk away. I, I don't have to build my brain. I mean, and this is stuff that you're good at that I just don't like anymore. I yeah. don't have to make reels. I don't have to interact. I don't have to be my own publicist. I don't have to be my own marketer. I do what I love, which is putting together a story and then I move on. It, you know, I mean, it, thanks, I, good luck. Yeah. I can't promote this like he can because he'll get national media. He'll oh, get international yeah. media. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. And, but hopefully he's like, Gives you a shout out or something. <laughs> oh, I'll be thanked in the credits. I mean, I'll be thanked yeah. in the credits. Okay. And I, I, like I said, I love the experience, but the the what a crazy experience! I almost feel like you could write a book about writing a book about Josh Flagg. Oh, I'm I'm sure we could, <laughs> and I and I would not be surprised if we worked together on other things because we work really well together because he's. He's so inappropriate. It's so funny. He's so fast. And just like his his biggest quips, you, you, you're not going to see on television. It's yeah, just. They can't. Yeah. So. Well, if if he, if he gets another $9,000 a night suite and there's like an extra bedroom and you just feel like, you know, inviting me, I'm available. <laughs> it's only a quick flight to Chicago. Like, yeah. And then the so second fun. gig that you have, and I'm going to die Will I ever, will we ever find out? Will we yeah, I'll ever be know? I'll be thanked. Okay. You'll be thanked. When it, you know, and it all depends on what this person is comfortable with. Because there are people yeah. that have ghostwritten books and there are different tiers of how you can be credited on the cover, which I don't give a shit about. Right. I truly okay. do not care. It's like, does it come with the check? That's what I care about. <laughs> I just, I just want to do the work. That's it. I just want to do the work because I, I can't sit still. I always want to be working on something. You can be thanked in the acknowledgments or if it's somebody big like Michelle Obama, you get it's you're not you're not mentioned. You're signing you know? an NDA and nobody ever talks about oh, it. Oh yeah, no, I I mean I have NDAs. I have NDAs yeah. for both, but I asked again with Josh, it was like different. It's like he was putting me on Instagram because right. like one of the things I forget that was something that we were talking about. This was the first thing he put on Instagram. I said, you, you realize you sound like Patrick Bateman right now. He's like, I don't know who that is. I'm like, the guy from American Psycho. He's like, oh, I love him. I'm like, no, that's not what we're going for. No, no, no. We don't love him. No. Well, he filmed that and actually put that. It was like one of his first Instagram things. So, yeah, I just <laughs> Oh, well, that is so cool. So yeah. do you think that's going to be kind of the new the new thing? Are you gonna, do you have any more Jen Lancaster books in you? I have them in me, but I just... I would rather do fiction. I would rather do screenplays. I just don't want to write about my life. I just, You're doing screenplays too. I have been working on screenplays. Like uh, I wrote a screenplay with my friend, Karen, the woman who wrote Save Karen like 20 years ago. She, she was the person who accidentally invented Kickstarter without getting paid for it. She was a TV producer in New York. She got $20,000 in debt and she was at the grocery store and saw a sign like, hey, I just need a dollar. And she's like, if everybody gave me a dollar, if like 20,000 people gave me a dollar, then I could be out of debt. So she did this thing. She was the first person to ever do anything like this on the internet. She was cut. Every single media outlet in the world covered her story. She was on the Today Show three times because of this. She was in the New York Times. She was in the Washington Post. She was on like the South China. Like she traveled all over the world for this. So she ended up like paying off her debt pretty quickly turned it into a book. It got optioned for a movie. She gave $20,000 to charity because of it. Um, and that became her thing. So she accidentally invented Kickstarter and never, never got paid for never it. Did, and then her second book, her second book was 20 times a lady that became the Chris Evans on a Ferris movie. What's your number? So she and I wrote a screenplay together a few years ago, but we just, we, we couldn't get anybody to look at it. And now there's a new Netflix movie that's essentially the same exact goddamn thing. So like, well, we have proof of concept now, but now the concept's been done. So mm. there will be more to come. I just, I just don't want to write about my life. That's it. You know. So you have a screenplay that you have the proof of concept on Netflix. I have like six screenplays, but the one in particular Netflix just made it and not, I don't think nearly as funny as what, what Karen and I wrote. So I, 
And at the time, I, I'm with CAA, and CAA couldn't represent Karen because Karen was in the Writers Guild, and Writers Guild and CAA were fighting, but she has since let her membership expire. So it was, my agents couldn't read it. You know, so we and we needed somebody to represent both of us. So now we're gonna we're gonna circle back and see what happens. Very cool. We have lots of other ideas. Can you adapt some of your books into screenplays? I could. I feel like I've already told the stories though. It it just doesn't interest me that much. Okay. I would rather I always want to be my favorite project, whatever my favorite project is, is whatever is next. So the idea of like, of looking back and redoing something is not that's not really interesting to me. Okay. The one the one book that everybody wanted to see, Bitter is the New Black. Bitter is the New Black came out two years before Orange is the New Black. But then when Orange is the New Black came out and it was damn good, I lost my title. Like nobody will look at that project now because it's like, well, we've already done this, even though mine came first. Right. You know, but it also led to a lot of people buying my book, much like the the Jenny Lawson emails that I get and the Jen Lancaster emails you get. And people are like, well, when do you go to prison in this book? Yes. <laughs> Don't go to prison. <laughs> Although, I mean, you haven't tried that yet. I mean, maybe you could, you know, that would be a book. Still- Young. We'll see what happens. <laughs> How do you come up with your ideas, though, on your books? Are you, is it is it always stories? Are you looking back and telling stories that already happened? Or sometimes you're living them, like the, the Tao of Martha. Like, you live it. Yeah. But like the that rest was, of it. That was planned. But one of my favorite books, the one that I got actually three starred reviews from, um, I think it was, it was like Publishers Weekly, Kirkus, and I forget, maybe Booklist. I don't know. The, the people who were usually like, oh, look. She wrote another book about herself, but this book, Here I Go Again, like they all loved it. And it literally came to me in a dream. And the reason it came to me in a dream was my husband was in charge of planning his class's 20 year reunion. Cause my, my husband had like a lousy high school experience and now he has this really good life. And he, and his goal was like, okay, we're going to have this reunion and it's going to be amazing. And there's going to be live music and there's going to be open bar. And there's going to be all these things. And then he was getting all this pushback from people. They're like, $60 seems like a lot of money for a ticket. And it was making him so crazy that I started having dreams about high school reunions. So in this book here, I go again, this, this high school mean girl gets sent back in time to right the wrongs that came about at her high school reunion. And it was it was such fun to write, but that was specifically because my dreams are usually pretty literal. It's just a reinterpretation of what's going on during my day. But that's how I got the ideas. I mean, some ideas just come from everywhere. I mean, it's just, if you are open to them, you will experience them. Right. Well, that was the thing about the United States of anxiety. I felt like you tried a lot of new things that you had never tried before. Did Was there something, obviously Second City really made yeah. a, a difference for you do you still go there do you still do things with them it's been it's been for the last 18 months it's been all online and that's hard I, I yeah and I've been through I mean I've been through every level of class I've been through all of their comedy training I've been through all of their screenplay so mostly what I was just going down there for was the the screenwriters lab which is everybody that's either a film school graduate or has been through the whole second city program and we would just work on our scripts together so that okay. was I mean, just give each other feedback. Now, what were you doing with stand-up comedy? Because when you're like, yeah, I got up and did 10 minutes. I'm like, you can't just do that. Well, but you did it. I did it. <laughs> like Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, I was like Miss. Yeah, it was a very, it was a very Mrs. Maisel moment. No, I had a, I was friend Becky here in Kansas City, and she had had this idea to put on an all-women comedy show. And so she was asking me to help her find some some other people to be in it. And she was working on the whole production side of it, the logistics of it all. And I just was sort of like, yeah, if it happens, it happens. And so one night she texted me and said that she was down the street at a comedy club and that it was open mic. And she was she was basically scouting talent. We were trying to find some people. And she's like, then I want you to see this club because I think this is where we're going to be. And so I put on a bra and I went down there and I got down there and she wasn't there. She was late. And 
they told me to go ahead on in that there was a class, there was a comedy class happening. And so I thought, well, good. I'd love to know more about comedy or whatever. So I went in and I quickly realized it was more about how to work the stage. And it was this guy sort of teaching everybody how to, how to work a stage. And then at the end he said, okay, well, so tonight everybody gets, you get your, your uh, two minutes and he's like, make sure they're tight. And if you don't have it, you know, if you, if you walk off my stage at one, one minute 30, I'm putting you back on there. Cause people, people are paying to get in tonight and you're going to do two minutes. And he's like, but if you go two minutes, 10 seconds, I'm going to hook you off the stage. Cause yeah, you get the light. you're not, he's like, you're not a headliner, you know? And so everybody's like, okay, okay. And I'm like, oh fuck, what, what's happening? And he's like, and some of you look scared and that's fine. Just give me your five bucks and you can be in the audience. And I thought, perfect. And so I walked up to him and I was like, here's my $5. I thank you for the class. I appreciate it. And he's like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a writer. And he's like, what do you write? Humor. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, what? He's like, why aren't you going up? And I said, well, because I don't write stand up. I, you know, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't even know. I don't have two minutes. And so he said, I'll give you five. He's like, why don't you do five? And I was like, oh God. And everybody was staring at me because, you know, it's like, it's, it's like a cutthroat world. And, oh, you yeah. know, and so everyone's like looking at me like they're going to break my kneecaps. And so they're just like, she's getting five minutes. And I was like, oh. So I was like, oh, thank you. So I went in the bathroom and I called my husband and I was like, oh my God, I'm going on stage. Like, and I have to have five minutes and I don't know what I'm going to do. And he was like, my husband is like, he always keeps me very grounded with, he does not let my ego get out of check at all. So he was like, literally no one in that room has ever heard of you. They've never read anything you've ever written. He's like, all you have to do is just tell one of your millions of stories and just be done with it. And I yeah. was like, oh, and he's like, good luck. And and that's basically what the comedy club owner told me, Dustin. He was like, he's like, you know, if you watch the really good standups on like Netflix or HBO or whatever. He's like, it's always storytelling. It's not just yeah. like budding, 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 you know? And he's like, get up there and tell a story. So, so he gave me five minutes. I did five minutes. And then the next, then at the end of that night, he ca called me and said, I'll give you 10 next week. And so <laughs> I went back and I did 10 and then COVID hit and I haven't been on stage since. So yeah. what a rush that is. I mean, because I've done, I've done some open mics and open mics are 99% just hipster guys working on their sets while you're up there. And I mean, it's one thing to stand in front of a, like a book crowd of 500 people that actually paid to come and buy my book. But if I can make a couple of hipsters in a dive bar laugh by, by talking about my life, that is really something. Right. No. Right. Well, that was the thing I thought, well, they're not going to get it. I mean, they're not my people. They're not going to understand. But they they got some of it. And you're right. It's the it's a bunch of young, mostly men. And and the audience was especially like on open mic night. It was especially just they're kind of they're kind of loud because they're kind of sitting there working on their own content yeah. with each other. And so nobody's really paying attention to you. And I don't think I went on till about 1130 that night. And I was <laughs> sort of like, mama's tired. Like I can't do. And so when he told me to give me 10 minutes, I was like, I need to go on a little earlier. Like, <laughs> just like I was like, I hate to be a diva. And then <clears throat> my thing is, I don't like how dark it is. I'm used to, I'm like you, like I'm used to getting up in front of like a book crowd, like in a library or a bookstore, like where you can see everyone's shining faces, you know, and, and they're laughing at you. And, and like, that's how I can tell if something's going well or not. And so to stand up there and sort of speak into the dark, I mean, I guess it gave me practice for what was coming with now I have to just do it all on zoom and yeah. I'm just kind of, you know, hamming up for a camera now all the time. And I'm not yeah. really, tell, I can't tell if anybody's laughing or not. So but yeah, it's a it's a totally different beast. I mean, I enjoyed it and I think I'll do it again, but I I really liked the idea of more of like the all all female show. Yeah. You should you I'm, should come and do our show next time we put it on. I would. I mean, it it is comedy is something I would pursue if the hours were better. I mean, and I even <laughs> said this in 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 Welcome to the United States of Anxiety. It's like being a daytime hooker. You can do yes. it, but you're going to do much better at night. Right? You're not going to get the best you know, it's just, it's not a daytime job, but if no. I you know, do comedy at like noon and then be home by like two o'clock to get some sun at the pool. Perfect. But that's not I do how think it works. There's, but Jen, I do think there's a market for that because there's a lot of, because I can't tell you how many times like there was workers. like a, 
Well, well, that too. I'm talking about humor, comedy in the daytime, but I'm just, but probably daytime hookers too. Well, that'll be another whole thing we can explore. Sex later. workers. Actually, you can't call them hookers now. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. They are sex workers now. Sex and workers. And that's, that's a thing. That's a, it's a real thing. You can't call them I'm that. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, I said it. I was one that yeah, said it. Yeah, but I, I added to it. So I apologize. Sex workers. We'll talk about you guys later. But what I was thinking though is that like so many times, like when they have, cause I tried after that, like I tried to support like any female comedian that came to mm-hmm. town because I just know that it's like such a male dominated world. And I would try to invite some of my female friends and I'd be like, well, you know, she doesn't go on till nine 30. <laughs> you know? Just be like, um, I'm in bed by 10. And oh, yeah. so I'm thinking if we did like, you know, kind of like a, like a, like a senior citizen happy hour time, <laughs> you know, the four to six kind of thing, you know, because uh, the funny thing about the show that Becky put on, because she ended up putting on the show, it's a huge sellout. She sold out every seat in this 250 seat, you know, club. And she had warned Dustin before. She was like, it will be 90% women. You cannot run out of wine. He ran out of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, so I'm thinking, you know, yeah, huge mistake. And he was like, oh, I, I think I can handle it. You can't handle it, sir. So I think, you know, four to six, unlimited wine, you know, where you're home to get, to get some sun if you need it. You can get home to get your kids their dinner. I'm telling you, I think there's something there. We could totally do a four to six comedy show. Well, I mean, COVID has, has reinvented everything. It has. You know, you know who I feel the worst for? That poor guy who was doing the business report in South Korea, like before COVID hit, like a year or so before COVID hit. And he was like in his home office and he was speaking to the BBC and the door slams open and his daughter comes strutting in. And then, then, then the baby comes in in his wheel thing and he is dying. The hosts are dying. His wife comes in and yanks them out. Now that's like, now we see it. A dog wanders into your, into your broadcast while you're doing the weather. Yeah, just, just we're. <laughs> I mean, I have seen so many experts on CNN talk about things with like their, you know, their golden doodle asleep on the couch behind them, like occasionally yes. farting. And now it's just like, <laughs> right. you know, so the, the anything went, goes like the rules are, we are more relaxed now. And I appreciate that. Right. Well, and I think, yeah, like kind of the wall, literally the walls have come down. Like we can, we yeah. literally have peered into, you know, your living room. I can you know, it's like for us, you know, we've always done these kinds of things with where we did podcasts and lives and things like that from our homes. But for some of these newscasters, these buttoned up people that didn't right. have that. Yeah. It's very different. It's never been pants required for us. Never. You know? <laughs> never, never. Are, are you wearing pants? I, I'm wearing track pants because I, like I said, I have to go to, I, you, know, you can't see my chalkboard. I have, my dog has a jalapeno ear. It's the strangest. Yeah. We think she got stung by a wasp and her ear's all swollen and she's fine, but nothing is making it less swollen. Not Benadryls, not antibiotics. So we have to take her to the vet. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, I don't envy you that. Okay. Well, we should wrap up so we can get the jalapeno ear looked at. Where can everybody find you, Jen, and all the things you do? The, the most central place to find me is jenlancaster.com. It's got all of my books. It's got all of my links to my socials. I'm probably most active on Instagram and I am Jensylvania on Instagram. I have taken a big step back from social media because a while ago, I, I just got tired of everyone's opinion. So mm-hmm. on my Facebook page, you can't comment. On my Instagram page, you can't comment. If you want to tell something, you can tell it to me. And do you know how much better that has made my life? <laughs> I, I just, it's, because I did, I did a video about two months ago. And I am, I'm definitely, this is all, all of these experiences over the last few years have made me far less conservative than I was far, far less. I mean, I came out as not Republican anymore in my most recent book. And I had just been to the hairdresser and my hairdresser's father in Mexico had just died from COVID. And I was, I, I was just trying to process that. And like, I don't, I don't understand how people are dying from this thing that is preventable. If we just looked after each other a little bit and wore masks. Like that was, that was it. I'm like, I'm just, I'm trying to, to figure this out. And somebody who's, who's like, Oh, I'm your biggest fan. I've been around forever. Just left me 
the most scathing comment that went on for paragraphs telling me that I was, I was insane, that COVID was all a lie, that it like the, it, it just like, okay, you're nuts and I don't want you. I, goodbye. See you later. I, science is real. I don't, I don't know how to tell you. You, you see planes flying in the sky. That's there. Those are scientific principles. Right. You know, I, it's I I know what you're saying though, and I think it is healthy to set those boundaries. And yeah. I've always had pretty hard boundaries with my internet, and I think it does. Luckily, with when you're people, I want to punch in the throat. They don't really come for you very often because they know yeah. they're going to get it. So, so I'm kind of lucky in that regard. But it is really it is important to kind of take breaks and set yourself aside. But please go and find Jen and follow her. And when she's ready to talk to you, she will let you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, me- just, I'm not that interested in people like, wow, you really gained weight during COVID. Well, yeah, I haven't oh, been to the gym in two you. years. Well, okay, yeah. six months of that was before COVID, but still. Well, that's it. I did it. I just joined TikTok and I really shouldn't have because I've done a really good job of weeding out assholes everywhere else. But now TikTok and I've had, I had one kind of blow up last week. And so I'm getting a lot of new followers on TikTok. And I made a funny, they oh, don't understand. What happened? Well, they don't understand sarcasm. So I made a joke about that they went to buy beer and they and they the machine asked if I looked over 40. And the guy, the young kid didn't even pretend. He didn't even try to flatter me. And he just was like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, she does. Like, no problem. She yeah. does not need to be carded. And so I said something about like, oh, I need to see the manager. And so I've got like, I had all these men like come into my DMs. They're like, you look like you're 40, 30 years ago. And I'm like, oh, you must be fun oh. in the bed. Like, yeah. get the fuck out. <laughs> so, like, I'm just like, eat a bag of dicks, sir. I'm like, do you know where you are? You must be lost. <laughs> you yeah. know, get out. So now I have to go through and like weed all of those guys out. But I try to shake the tree every few months and just get yeah. the crazies out because I don't need them hanging around. I mean, but it I is always every single day. I'm, I'm on yeah. Facebook, but I'm just stealth mode. I like that. Very good. All right, guys. We'll find Jen Lancaster, read all her books, and then look out for all, whatever it is she's working on next. I'm excited to find out what the top secret project is. And if you have another 9,000 square foot. It was amazing. Uh, sweet. Just, you know, just call me. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and subscribing to No Pants Required with Jen Mann. Don't forget to follow me on social media and subscribe to my newsletter at jenmanwrites.com. My newest book, Midlife Bites, Anyone Else Falling Apart or Is It Just Me? will be out in January, but it's available for pre-order everywhere books are sold.